guys, if you have your Bibles, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. There you go back there. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, working our way through 1 Corinthians. Um, we might take a break in this study because we have a new series coming up in September that I'm super excited about. We'll talk about that later. Um, before we jump in, though, I want to encourage you guys with a couple things. Number one, uh, if you don't know, a lot of our missional communities serve a meal for a recovery ministry at Kingdom Life once a month, and it's called The Rock, which stands for Recovery on Christ. So if your MC has ever participated in that, can you just raise your hand? Have you ever made a meal for The Rock? Okay. Uh, we are missional community leader cohort did it this past Friday. It, or it was awesome, and we have another one coming up. Like, we do it every month. But I'll tell you this, a couple of the people that go to Rock, they have anywhere from, we've seen 60 to 80 people there. So it's an awesome recovery ministry of Kingdom Life. But they said, they said one of the best compliments, they said when Jericho Road serves the meal, we get so excited because it's always the best. And so, because they have different churches serve every Friday. So I thought that's cool that we're better than other churches, basically. Which leads me to my sermon today on pride. Okay, so, no, but I thought that was really cool. So just be encouraged that, A, we're partnering with other churches uh, to see change happen in Muskegon for Jesus. And uh, this is a great way that our church specifically benefits nothing from this other than we get to see uh, lives being changed through the meals that we make. And if you've done it before, we, not only the meals that we make, but we also sit and eat a meal with everybody there for the ministry. And we get to meet people and talk. It's awesome. So um, your MC might be signed up for that coming up. So if you want to be a part of that, let me know as well. If you're not in an MC or you want to be a part of it, let me know and I'll help you get plugged in. So I just want to share that. And also the very last thing is, um, please, everybody, set your reminders to fast tomorrow. As we talked about, fast is a discipline that takes time. Um, sometimes we fast for one meal that we typically always eat. Sometimes people fast for two meals. Some people fast for the whole day. Uh, you choose what God is calling you to do, but let's fast tomorrow not only for our children, your children and your grandchildren, but also the kids of J-Road. Because they're going to be going into, some of them are going to go into hostile environments. You know, public schools aren't always the most uh, biblically grounded places on earth. So they're going to be taught truths that aren't really God's truth and just help them be led by the Holy Spirit reach people that aren't being reached, and uh, just be a light for Jesus. So please fast tomorrow, guys. If you remember, we'll send out a text in the J-Road text. We'll send out an email as well. So join us. Okay. Um, so last week, Paul talked about training your body. If you were here last week, you know I showed a clip from Rocky 1 where Rocky was training, and it's about training your bodies, um, training your spiritual self, so Paul said, I do not become disqualified. And so how do we train ourselves? We're talking about self-control and self-disciplines. And so the challenge, the next steps for last week was, how are your spiritual disciplines? And so we talked about five last week. I'll just review them with you quickly. Um, one is quiet time with God. Uh, two is fasting, which we're going to do together. Uh, the third is tithing, tithing to your local church, um, giving of your finances. Uh, Number four is fellowship in the church, being a part of fellowship in the church, Sundays, missional communities, uh, 
J-Road table, just having fellowship in the church, and also Sabbath rest. There is probably more spiritual disciplines. I just thought these are five that we could focus on and think about. So as you look at this list, as we sent out the text, where do you feel like you're strong in? Where do you feel like you're doing well? Maybe you're doing well in all of them. Maybe you're not doing well in any of them. Um, that's kind of a good start for us to think about. How are we doing in our next steps? Our daily rhythms. And really these rhythms are in place so that we stay close to Jesus, right? Like nothing keeps you closer than Jesus if you fast, right? You fast all day, you're hungry, you're thinking about it. And so it gives you, a, a, every time you feel that hunger pain, it's a reminder to pray for whatever you're fasting for. It's really good. Um, but in today, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul shares a warning to the Corinthian church. He gives them a warning. And uh, the highlight of today's message is found in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So I'll jump ahead and read 10, 12. He says this, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't what? He's like, he's telling them, be careful. If you think that you got it all together, if you think that you know all the answers, and that you're standing firm, be careful, because that is the time when you fall, okay? And so we're going to break this down a little bit. But earlier in 1 Corinthians, like, we all know that 1 Corinthians isn't broken down. The letter originally wasn't broken down in chapters, right? The church in Corinthians got a letter, and they read the whole thing. So earlier on in the letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, some of you have become arrogant. And he kind of accuses the church of being puffed up and arrogant. Um, maybe they're arrogant in their spiritual walk. Like, hey, I've been baptized. I have freedom in Jesus. I can do whatever I want. They became prideful. And, and Paul even says, it appears that some of you are kings. And he says, may, and he even says sarcastically, if you read in, early, in chapter 4, he's, he kind of rebukes him. He says, maybe, maybe I could reign with you. Maybe I could be in your court. And he says, obviously, you guys are kings now. And he's kind of like making fun of the, the church a little bit because they became prideful. And then he goes on to say, I am a slave to all people. I became weak to all people. I don't even have a place to sleep. And you guys are acting like kings. And so he warns them. And so today, he gives them a warning and basically says, you guys are flirting with disaster. You guys are flirting with disaster. And here's kind of, the, here's one of the main points. When we get prideful, disaster is very close. When we get prideful, disaster is very close. It is right at our door. And here's just a couple scriptures from Proverbs written by the wisest man, you know, other than Jesus to ever walk the earth. It says this in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before the fall. And Proverbs 11, 2 says, When pride comes, then comes what? When pride comes, then comes? Yeah. Saying, be careful. He's saying, if you notice yourself becoming prideful, making haughty comments, becoming boastful, thinking that you're better than everybody, that's when disaster comes. And that's a theme throughout the whole Bible, Right? Don't become prideful. And so here in 10, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul gives a warning. He's saying, be careful because even you could fall. 
So let's look at the first part in verses 1 through 5. This is a warning he gives. It says, For I do not want you to become ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea, meaning the Red Sea. They were all baptized into, Moses's, into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their body was scattered in the wilderness. Their bodies were scattered through the wilderness. It's like, what a challenging warning to the people. He's saying, look at your forefathers. Look at all the blessing they have. These people, like, they had extreme, like, spiritual privilege. Like, could you imagine if you went through something in your life where, like, Lake Michigan was split down the center and you crossed over on dry ground and you saw God's hand do something, like, that type of miracle? Or, like, they saw, they had a cloud by day, which the cloud represented God's guidance. So they had a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and the cloud was shade also in the desert, but also directed them where to go. And when they said, God, we don't have any food, what did God provide? Manna from heaven. So every step they saw miracle after miracle after miracle of God. And they had such an awesome privilege. And what does Paul say at the end? God wasn't pleased with that, most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. It's like, what? What? It should be a warning. He meant it as a warning. And so, uh, you think these folks that seen these things would be so faithful. The Israelites, as they came out of Egypt, would have been so faithful. And if they saw the things that they saw, they would have the most faith of anybody. But what happened? After a month or two, they started grumbling, they started complaining. I wish we could go back into Egypt. I wish we can go back. I don't really trust God right now. This food that you're providing for us isn't that great. And they received God's punishment. And so what Paul is saying here is nobody's immune from falling. None of us are immune from falling. It's like you look at what, it said, what Paul said last week, and it's up on the screens in chapter 9, verse 27. He says this. He said, No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So after all the privilege that, think about Paul, what Paul went through. Paul was one of the only people to see the risen Jesus, right? He encountered Jesus. He, he, he encountered Jesus face to face. He was stoned to death almost and survived. It says in Acts that Paul was caught up to the third heaven and he saw things that were too glorious to even explain. And on top of that, he was blind and received his sights. On top of that, he received inspiration from the Holy Spirit to write 13 books of the New Testament. So Paul was like, the, uh, like a spiritual titan. You know what he said? I have to train my body. I have to be up on my spiritual disciplines because I may be disqualified. Right? He's like, man, if Paul is like, has a healthy fear of falling, shouldn't we? I mean, because he's seen things that some of us would dream to see. He saw it with his own eyes. He saw Jesus face to face. And he said, I have a healthy fear 
that I may not finish strong. And this healthy fear, I believe, kept him close to Jesus. Right? And it, it's, it's amazing to see that with all that privilege, he had this healthy fear of being disqualified. And so he's saying, don't think that you are immune from falling into sin and experiencing its disastrous effects on your life. He's saying, don't think that you're immune from that. So let's read on and continue in verse 6. In verse 6, it says this, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did. He said, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did. And were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples. And were written down as... Yes, but good. They were written down as warnings to us. All this stuff that happened in the Old Testament is written as a warning to us. On whom the uh, culmination of the ages has come. Meaning Jesus has come and we've seen this and now we're in the age of grace and it's still written as a warning to us. So he uses these Old Testament Testament examples. Um, So we can look at each one of these and they would each be a sermon about these are things that actually happened in the Old Testament where the people turned their back on God And they received God's discipline. And it was like this pattern. God revealed himself. The people were on fire for God. They turned their back on God. They received his discipline. They turned back to God. They were on fire for God. They turned their backs on God, went to sin, received his discipline. And it's like a cycle that happens all throughout the Old Testament. And we sometimes fall in that cycle too, right? And he's warning them, like, don't become haughty. Don't become haughty. Don't think that you can't fall into sin. Don't think you can't fall. Um, and so he gives them these five warnings. And so I'll, I'll just break these down little by little. And we just see five here. Um, he told the first thing is, do not set your hearts on evil things. Do not set your heart on evil things. And so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? I mean, everybody here could think of a time in our Christian walk where we had this unhealthy desire for evil things, number one. But also, it's a desire for worldliness. It's to look at sin and desire it. It's to look at worldliness and say, everything that happens in the world, I want to be a part of that. And just having a desire for that. Um, Whatever it is, partying, uh, drunkenness, sexual morality, greed, money, and it's really at the heart of it is just not being content with what God has provided for us. You guys know each one of us, God has provided for us sufficiently, right? We all have a roof over our head. We all have food on the table. We all have clothes on our back. And that was those three things, roof over our head, clothes on our back, food on the table, was the guidelines for richness. If you had those things in abundance, you were wealthy. And when God gives us all these things and we are found not content and always seeking more and more and more, it's like we become content on worldliness. What does Jesus say? Seek first the what? 
Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be what? They'll be given to you or added to you. They were like, you're setting your heart on the wrong things. You're setting your heart on, how do I get more money? And he's saying, you should be setting your heart on, how could I discipline my body, live for the kingdom of God? And he said, if you do that, all these things will be given to you. Don't set your heart on the worldliness. So he's saying, do not set your heart on evil things. The second is, do not be idolaters. Do not be idolaters. Like, we all have idols at times in our life, right? Like, what are some idols that you think are common in our day and age? Money? What else? What's that? Yeah? What else? Sports? Yeah. What's that? Popularity? Like, really anything could become an idol, right? Like, our children can become our idol if we worship them and put them above God and we disobey God to serve our children. Like, that could be an idol. I mean, anything could become an idol. Um, so we all have things. And he's saying, be careful you don't have idols. And I want to share one quick idol, but do you guys remember when Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and he came down? And what were the people doing? Worshiping the golden calf. Um, so uh, if you really study that passage or you look at it, they weren't just worshiping a, like some like cow god, a, cow, a golden calf god. That golden calf was supposed to be a representation of Jehovah, the God that led him out of Israel. But he wasn't supposed to have the shape of a golden calf, and he wasn't supposed to be okay with them having, you know, basically an orgy or, you know, drinking and partying and all these things happening. But they created their version of God that was okay with what they were doing. It wasn't a different God. It was a wrong version of the true God. And so how does that apply to us? One of the versions of idolatry that happens in our day and age is when people say the term, well, my Jesus would be okay with that. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard this phrase? My Jesus is totally okay with this lifestyle. I've asked him. I've thought about it. My Jesus is totally okay if I sleep with my boyfriend before marriage. He's okay with it. My Jesus doesn't care if I get drunk because he's all right with it. My Jesus uh, would want me to be happy. And when you say that, you are worshiping a false God. Because the only way to know the true Jesus is by looking in his word, which he revealed himself. Amen? And if you look at his word, we get the full picture of who God is and, what he, and who he is and what he represents and what he did what he loves and what he hates, what makes him happy, what, what makes him sad. And when you say, if somebody in the church brings something up, like, hey, it looks like you're on a path to destruction right now, and you're like, actually, my Jesus is okay with that. Well, really? Well, how did you get that? Is it in the Bible? No, 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 no. Well, you're deriving your truth from something you made up. Golden calf. My God is okay with this. And if you go down that route, your God's okay with whatever you want because it's your God. It's made up. Right? You just choose your own adventure. Right? <laughs> like, you know, how is that working out for you? There's only one true God, and anything else is an idol. So I love people saying, my Jesus, but if your Jesus is different than the Jesus of the Bible, he's not your Jesus. He's a false God that you created. Okay. The, the next one is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. 
So he warns them, don't fall into sexual immorality. Um, and the word for sexual immorality uh, in its original Greek is pornea, which is where we get the term pornography from. But in the term, this meant fornication. And it meant any other sexual indulgence that you could possibly think of. So, you know, anything. So you guys all know what the term fornication means, right? So the fornication is, is having sexual relations with your partner before you're married. You know, marriage is good, right? Like God gave us marriage. Jesus blessed marriage. And his first miracle in Cana of Galilee was done where? At a wedding. He was at a wedding. A wedding is where two people, male and female, come together to be joined together in holy matrimony. And after that day, their marriage is solidified through this gift that God gave us called sex. It's a blessing. It's awesome. It's good. God designed it. But if you're Jesus, says it's totally okay. If you like somebody and your Jesus wants you to be happy and says it's okay to have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend before the agreement of marriage, well, number one, you have an idol, and that's fornication. The Bible said don't do that. It's not good. And I can list off situation after situation where people, you know, felt like fornication was okay, and they say my Jesus is okay because we love each other. There's no commitment. There's no marriage ceremony. And then this thing ends in disaster. And so he gives us this warning saying, you know, do not do this. And it's not just that. It's, it's anything in our day and age that's sexually outside of marriage, you know. It, everything fit in. And they were, and with them, they were indulging in everything outside of a male and female marriage. And so he said, do not commit sexual morality. Stay away from it. Um, the next one was, do not test Christ. Do not test Christ. Um, really what was happening is, you guys remember Paul was talking about his freedom? So one of the blessings of being a Christian is we have freedom. We have freedom. We're not bound to the old law. We're not bound by this. They had tremendous freedom. But if you use your freedom in Christ to push against the edges of morality all the time, and thinking, how far can I go? How far can I go? How far can I push this? You're testing Christ, right? And the question should not be, how far should I take this? But how much can I be like Christ? Instead of just pushing the boundaries of Jesus. And the, the last one was, do not grumble. You guys know what grumble means? Like, complain? Yeah, complaining. I don't know if you guys know this but like complaining erodes churches. <laughs> you guys know that? Like complaining destroys churches. And if it, all the time it's, I don't like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. Well, number one, who's the focus on? Me. <laughs> you know, we come in here to sing songs of praise and adoration to God. We come in here to open our Bibles and say, what is the word God has for me today? We also come in here to say, where can I serve? Some people are doing security. Some people are making coffee. Some people are down in kids' ministry. Like, where can I serve? I'm here to praise God. I'm here to serve. I'm here to look in his word. 
Like, there's really no room for complaining. Now, if you see something that may be out of place or is a danger, sure. But not everything is just tailor-fit to your custom experience, right? <laughs> well, I like this. I like this. I don't like that. I like this. The coffee's a little too sweet. It's like, that's why God made traveler mugs. If you don't like the coffee, bring your own, right? <laughs> the music's too loud. Oh, the music's too loud. That's why God invented earplugs. Put them in your ears. <laughs> if you got hearing aids, like, see if you could turn those things down a little bit if it's too loud, you know, like. But we don't have to complain about every little thing that we don't like. It's not about that, Right? Well, you know, every 12th is coming up, and I really don't like going around, like, picking up trash in Steel Neighborhood. It's like, have we forgot what serving's all about? Do you think Jesus got on his feet and washed, or got on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' dirty feet because he loved washing feet? And Jesus is like, hey, I just, sorry, I have a passion for washing feet. It's just my total jam. I love it so much. No! It's the same with, like, kids' ministry. Like, kids' ministry, you have people down there that are absolutely passionate about kids. But then you also have people down there that are doing it because they know that these kids need to be served. And they know that parents could have a place where they could hear the service. And it's hot down there, and it's hard. And kids may not be your absolute passion and purpose in life, but you're doing it because it's not about me. It's about them. And Jesus gave us this awesome example of washing in between the cracks of the toes of his disciples' dirty feet and scrubbing them clean, not because he loved feet, but because he knew that service is not about you. It's about the people you serve. So if we grumble and complain, it's an often sign that this is all about me and I don't like it. And guess what? It's not all about you. It's purposely not about you. And the problem is, in a lot of churches, they're just catered to you, like McDonald's. That's, what's their slogan? Have it your way. Or is that Burger King? All right, you all know too much about fast food anyway. <laughs> Have it your way. Y'all watch too much TV too? Just kidding. Um, so he says, Have it your way. You don't like this? Let me change it. You don't like this? Let me change it. And it's like, really, guys, we're on a mission here for Jesus. And when we go to Ecuador, Lord willing, if we're still, if everything works well and we go to Ecuador, you know, we're not going to go there and be like, oh, it's a little too hot in here. It's like, hey, you know, like, keep that to yourself. <laughs> like, we all hot. <laughs> uh, so don't complain. If you feel like you just have a grumbling attitude, that's usually a sign that your pride is taking over and you're, the, something's going on under the surface. So try to figure out what that is. Um, so, so he tells them, do not flirt with these sins. Do not flirt with these sins. Do not go down there and uh, stand strong. And uh, when we dabble in these things, we are in danger of experiencing God's discipline. So this is something we may not hear all the time. If you disagree, correct me, come back, write an email, uh, whatever you want, but we're in danger of God's judgment and discipline. That's what he told them. All these people turned their back and their bodies were scattered in the desert. And so he said, when you dabble in sin, 
you're at risk of experiencing my discipline, experiencing my judgment, and quite possibly ruining your life. Okay? You might say, my God would never discipline me. Well, your God is an idol, all right? <laughs> That's what it says in the Bible. All right, I'll show you a couple of verses. Um, look at in Hebrews 12, 6, where God disciplines his children. It says this, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chast- chastises everyone he accepts as his son. So you guys can read this verse in its context, but God disciplines those he loves. And I don't know if you guys have kids, and you have disciplined your kids. Discipline is not fun. I don't know, maybe you've been disciplined by your parents. Discipline isn't exciting. It's not fun. It's oftentimes sad, but it develops us. And our parents did it because they loved us. Those that were disciplined in a, in a correct way, um, in a godly way. First Corinthians, also in the book of First Corinthians, in a, a, the chapter over, it says this. Paul is talking about communion, and he's, he's talking to them about, you guys, some of you have fallen into sin. And he said, that is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep, which is many of you have died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such, okay, judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So guys, if we dabble in this stuff, if we dabble into sin and flirt with sin, we can face God's discipline, whatever that may be. And we could fall. And we could fall. And you may be asking, like, like I was asking when I was studying this and praying about it, is like, what does it mean to fall? Like he keeps talking about this. Does that mean like, like J-Road, like half of J-Road's going to be at Unity next year and somebody's going to bring like a bunch of bottles of tequila and we're all going to get drunk at Unity and then half of us are just going to die in the fields of Unity next year? Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't want to test God in that, but, uh, but what does it mean to fall? Um, what does it mean for Paul to say he's disqualified? He's giving them this warning because he doesn't want them to do this. So what is he talking about? Well, Fall or disqualified, number one. Has anybody here ever had a pastor that you absolutely loved just morally fall? Like morally fall into sin and become disqualified? I know I have, and it was really sad. I know Brian has. We talked about this. Uh, One of my favorite pastors uh, back in the day used to be Bill Hybels. And there went through a moral situation there, and he was removed from pastor, and he ended this amazing career in disgrace. Like, he had 30 years at Willow Creek in Chicago, and he was this awesome pastor. And he did saw so many people come to Christ. And he let his, something happen, and he fell. And, and the church kicked him out. And he's no longer a pastor. He became disqualified. And some of you may say, Well, he was just a bad actor. Like, no, I don't believe he was. I believe he's a good man. That's what we're talking about today. I think he maybe became prideful and fell. I can't judge. I'm not supposed to judge. I'm just using examples. Um, Mark Driscoll, everybody's, a lot of people listen to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, one of the most influential churches in America. You know, this guy was, had the number one uh, watched pastor in America. 
Mark Driscoll, and he fell, you know? I don't know, many of you probably don't know Ravi Zacharias, but Nicole and I went, anybody here know Ravi Zacharias? Yeah, Wayne, about it, but man, I, <laughs> not very much uh, in-depth church culture here, but he went, Ravi Zacharias was one of the best apologetics in, in the church, one of the best. Nicole and I bought tickets when he was in Detroit to watch him preach. And then it came out that right before he died, that he had a string of sexual massage parlors that were open. Not just going to massage parlors, he opened, basically involved in sex trafficking for who knows how many years. And I, again, I don't know what happened. I'm not here to judge him, but I believe he fell. He became disqualified. And if you're sitting here, and what Paul is saying, if you're sitting here and be like, whoa, that's horrible, how could he? He's saying each one of you could fall into the same type of sin. I would never open a, I would never get involved in sex trafficking. Paul's saying, yes, you can. Be careful. Like, look at the next verse. Oh, it says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. You might be thinking of all of these things and say, you know, I would never do that. I would never do that. It's like nobody wakes up one morning and gets involved in a horrible sin. Nobody wakes up one morning and decides to have an affair and ruin their perfectly happy marriage. Nobody wakes up one morning and decides to open what Ravi did. Nobody wakes up... He's saying it can happen to each one of us, and it could destroy your life. And so to go back to what does fall mean, it could mean dying. We just saw that in 1 Corinthians 11, it could mean that you could become sick. You could become down and depressed. You could be, have struggle with anxiety, all because you're entertaining sin in your life. It could damage your witness. That's a, one of the things as he said, if I'm trying to reach my work for Christ— and if I fall morally, I've damaged my witness. And now I potentially hurt people coming to Christ because of that. And that should break our heart just as much as anything else. I damaged my witness. I got drunk at the office Christmas party. I ran around without my shirt on. And now when I try to tell people about things, they just think I'm a drunk or, a, you know, whatever. I've ruined my witness. And the other thing is falling Paul's warning, could destroy your life. Could destroy your life. Divorce, lose your job, losing custody of your kids, bankruptcy. We've all seen people go, we've watched sin destroy people's lives. And Jesus just doesn't have these things listed because he doesn't want you to have fun. He wants you not to destroy your life in sin, right? So then be careful. Train your body. Do not become prideful thinking, hey, I go to church. Hey, I've been baptized. Hey, I'm an elder or I'm a missional community leader or I serve on the worship team. I would never do that. He's saying you can if you let yourself fall away. He's saying be careful. And then he ends with this final thing. Paul says God is faithful. Verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 
So God is faithful. Okay, so he leaves us with this encouragement. Only temptation that comes your way is what's common to man. So it's not going to be unique to you. It's not going to be supernatural. It's everybody's experienced it. And when you are tempted, what will God do for you? He said he is faithful and he will provide a way out so you don't fall into sin. So number one, is it a sin to be tempted? Absolutely not. We are going to face temptation every day. Jesus faced temptation, and yet he didn't fall. Does temptation come from Satan, or does it come from God? Okay. Temptation only comes from Satan. And God does not tempt us. It says that in his word. He'll not tempt us. And God will never let us tempt beyond his bear. So Satan, in his tempting us, is restrained by God. God holds back Satan and only lets us be tempted up to a certain point. If you look at Job, if you look at Job in Job 1, 6 through 12, and you, and you look at what happened to Peter in Luke 22, he said that if it was up to Satan, he would utterly destroy you in a second. That's what Jesus says to Peter. If Satan has his way, he will utterly destroy you in a second. But I'm holding him back. And he's only limited to what I allow. But God said he'll always provide a way out. And he said he's faithful. So as the worship team comes forward, it gives us an encouragement also. What happens when we do fall? What happens when we do fall? We come back to the cross. We come back to the gospel. Look at 1 John 1, 9. This should, is, is any of us here have fallen? We're at risk of destroying our marriage. We're at risk of losing our jobs. Our sin has entangled us so badly. Look what it says in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news of the gospel, amen? So God is not only faithful in that he'll provide a way out when we're tempted, he's faithful in the grace of God and what Jesus did on the cross is so much bigger than our sin. And when we fall, we just cry out to God, repent of our sins and it says, he is what? He is faithful and he's just to forgive us. He'll forgive us. And we get a fresh start. God is the God of second chances. He's God's do-overs. That's why grace is so amazing, is you can't fall too far from God. Amen? But we don't want to test that. <laughs> we don't want to test God's limits. I'm not saying he won't forgive us, but I'm saying we don't want to push our life because he's like, you may not die and go to hell because you're saved by grace. But because of the Lord's discipline and the Lord's judgment, you could screw up your life messing around with sin. And so I have the next steps I have for you are three parts. Number one, ask God to reveal any pride that is in you. Ask God to reveal any pride that is in you. The thing about pride is we don't often see it. It's kind of like a bald spot back here. It's there, but I don't see it. That's how pride is. So we either need somebody in the church to reveal it or we need God to reveal it to us. Number two, repent of any pride or other sin God has revealed. And number three, stay close in your walk with Jesus. Can we commit to doing that this week, guys, church? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you guys commit to doing this this week. Let's pray. We'll sing this last song. God, 
As we look at these next steps, we pray that you reveal any pride to us. Reveal any pride that we may have in us, any haughtiness, any boastfulness, and just bring it to the surface, God, in myself and in our church family. Reveal it to each one individually. If there's any sin that we've been flirting with that we haven't repented of, bring it to our attention, God, now. God, help us repent this week and turn to you. And help us stay close to you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.